Why don't you stand with me reading God's Word? We'll get started. You guys are going to hate today, by the way. Uh, this is Psalm 81, verses 11 and 12. <laughs> uh, it says, But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live and follow you as you have laid out. That we would live lives that, that lift you up and that honor you and that we'd reflect more of who you are to this world around us. Not in a weird, crazy way, but in a way that honestly reflects who you are. So teach us to live, to be your children in this world. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is our eighth week in a series we're calling What in the World? Uh, when I got done writing the book of Acts, I looked at the calendar and I realized there was 10 to 11 weeks left and I didn't really know what to do with that because if we did a book like Philippians or Ecclesiastes, I couldn't get that into 10 or 11 weeks and I didn't think I could take something like the book of Ruth and stretch it out, although I did, it's 14, we're going to hit it next year, so that's yeah, great. Uh, so this was, I was in my own little personal quiet devotional time and I was going through the book of Luke and I read some things that's like, what in the world is that there for? And I thought if I had questions, you probably still have questions as well. So I thought a great thing to do was be to answer some of those questions. We've kind of moved out of the Gospels now, and I'm doing some things by the Apostle Paul that kind of make you scratch your head and go, what in the world? I thought we could call this Difficult Sayings of the Bible, but I actually have two books called that. So I thought, what in the world sounded more fun? So we go, what in the world is up with that? So what I also like you to do is if you have what in the world questions, grab a three-by-five card on one of the communion tables throughout the room, write down your what in the world question, and we will come back next year after Easter and begin to answer some of those questions. But then again, as I said, make it a Bible question. Don't make it, how old do you think the earth is? Or how big do you think, do you think the universe is? Because I'll give you an answer, but I want a Bible question so we can talk about the scriptures. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Again, this is my warning today that some of you will hate this. Uh, I called today's message the submission hold, because I'm talking about Ephesians 5.22. There'll be doilies in the back for all the ladies. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I really am. Uh, next week, we may have extra uh, parking spots out in the parking lot, but I don't know. Uh, I did a message kind of like this about five years ago, uh, but I thought it was really good to come back and cover this again. A lot of people have questions about things like this. Ephesians 5.22, it's where we're going to start, and it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, when I just said that, a lot of ladies are like, what in the world did he just say? Like, what, what, what is that? Now, Ephesians 5, in context, it's going to deal with marriage and husbands and wives and relationships. And I think it's important to talk about what we do today because this has a big impact on our culture. And I am not a bigot, and I'm not a sexist, and I'm not a woman hater. I married one. I love her, so I don't hate women. This is in the Bible. You've got to deal with it. You've got to figure out what it's actually trying to say. So let me ask you a favor at the outset of this. And this is, listen to my whole message before you freak out. My whole thing. Don't just hear one little thing here or in the middle or towards the end. Take the whole thing in context together. I'm not playing in the band today, and if you have questions, you can come and talk to me afterwards, and we can talk through it, and you can freak out on me there. But I want you to hear the whole thing. Whole thing. Okay, this is one of the most least loved and most disputed sections of all of Scripture today. I know some of you ladies, you just love this though, right? This is, this is your favorite verse in the Bible. You write it on lipstick on the mirror every morning for your husband. You want to sing worship songs where this is the only chorus. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Oh, right? All day long. That's all you think about. 
Yeah, I know. You know, you know, guys, don't, guys don't go, amen, don't get any applause because they would sleep on the couch tonight if they said anything out loud, so they got to be really quiet. Uh, Stephen Cole, he tells this story that a few years ago, a Russian newspaper, they went out and they asked 100 Russian households who was the head of the home. 90 of the 100 homes, the wife described herself as the head of the family, and the husband agreed. In nine of those families, the husband described himself as the head of the family, and the wives disagreed. Only one home... Yeah, only one home in a hundred did the, did the guy say, no, I, I'm the head of our family, and the wife actually agreed. So they called this guy, and they say, you won a prize because you were the only one. And he's like, sweet, great. And he looks at his wife and says, what should I choose, Maria? <laughs> wives submit to your own husbands. And what that means is there are wives and there are husbands, and there's this submitting thing that takes place. But you really have to understand what submission means. So we're going to talk about this as we go through it. This does not mean in context of this that women submit to all these men in general. This is wives and husbands. It's relationship. A man can't walk up to a woman and say, hey, make me a hot pocket. And and if they do, that's not submission anyway. That's just being a big jerk. So it does not say that women are inferior to men. If, if men know anything and they're honest about themselves and their own lives, we know that we are superior in very, very little. The scripture teaches men and women are equal, but we are different. When you read these words in Ephesians 5, this is collaboration and cooperation. It is not good versus bad. It is not dominated versus controlled. It is like your hands. It is left hand and right hand. You learn how to do things together. In marriages, husbands and wives should learn how to do life together. And a lot of ladies will say, but you don't know my husband. He is like the missing link or something. Well... You married him, okay? You, you, marry, you married the dude. Let me give you some background on this. The culture in Paul's day, women couldn't vote, they couldn't own land, they couldn't testify in court, they are mostly barred from higher education, and a man in this day and age would live like a rock star. And he would go around and he would sleep with everybody he could, and then when he got a little bit older, he would marry a very young woman to have legitimate offspring to carry forth his name. So you have this problem, or even, even a good thing at some point, because they start coming into the churches, and these people start to hear the scriptures that they are created equal, and that God loves them equally, and man and woman, both in the image of God. And all of a sudden, these women start to despise their husbands because of how they live their life and how they feel like they are now treated. What do you do with all this thing in these marriages? Paul says, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, a lot, of, a lot of women don't have a problem submitting as long as their husbands do what they want them to do. It's when they don't do what they want them to do, and that's not submitting. And it's also significant that the Bible never says husbands make your wives submit. Husbands manipulate them. Guys, that is not your responsibility. It never commands the husband to make himself the head of the home. It just states it as a course of discussing the wife's role. When you read through this, you have responsibilities of men and women throughout Ephesians chapter 5. And what we find is that our families become blessed. They become better when we live the way God calls us to live. And again, let me finish everything before you freak out. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ, Jesus, so it points to Jesus, is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. We do not get to vote whether Jesus gets to be in charge. He is in charge. And as Jesus is the head of the church, the husband becomes the head of the home, and Christians spend so many times arguing about should he or is he a good one, rather than just realizing that's what he's supposed to be. That's part of one of his roles. 
And the thing is, if husbands lived the way they were supposed to, this would never even be an issue. It would not be an issue at all. The question is, is he a good husband who is like Jesus or a bad husband who is not like Jesus? Head does not mean boss. When you read in Ephesians 5, head means like Christ. Jesus has a bride. It is called the church. Husbands have a bride called their wives. They are to treat their brides like Christ treats the church. Jesus doesn't sit back and wait for us to figure it all out. He pursues us. He loves us. He chases us down. He pursues relationship with us every single day. That means a husband must be relentlessly committed to relationship with his wife. If there is repentance that has to take place in a family, the guys go first. If there is reconciliation that has to take place, men step in and go first. If there is work to be done, guys step in and go first. Headship. Headship also means that a man is responsible for certain things in his marriage that may not even be all his fault. What I mean by that is when I sin, is it Jesus' fault that I sin? No. But Jesus takes responsibility for it. He forgives me of my sin. Jesus dies for me as my head. And this means a man can't look at his wife and say, you screwed up, you go fix it. He cannot be like Adam and blame his wife for all the problems. And so in marriage, sometimes there may be something that's not your fault, but it becomes your responsibility. It is why Jesus comes to us in our times when when we are in need and we are running away and we are in sin. It's supposed to be the same thing in a marriage. A wife who is struggling or having a problem or maybe is in some sin, her husband is supposed to make great haste to rescue her and love her and restore her even if he suffers and even if he dies in the process so that she can be forgiven and she can be loved. That is what it means to be the head. It is a man's privilege so that when a wife thinks of her husband, she can also think of Jesus. God loves me. My husband loves me. God forgives me. My husband forgives me. God pursued me. My husband pursued me. Jesus died for me. My husband would die for me. Husbands are the head of their wife. That is not chauvinism. It's meant to be humility. Most women only struggle with the word submit if their husbands don't look like Jesus. You say, well, my husband, he's abusive and he's mean. Well, that means he doesn't look like Jesus. Paul says, verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And we're like, what in the world does that mean? It's clear. That's why we don't like it, right? It says in Titus 2, 1 Corinthians 11, Colossians 2, 1 Peter 3. This means a husband and wife cannot pick and choose where they will journey together with each other. They must journey together everywhere. Now, just like we talked about last week with the government, if your husband is in sin or he's trying to get you to commit some sin, your first priority is to Jesus first, and you say no to the sin. And again, ladies, give me a few minutes. I will start going at the guys in just a minute here. You'll really love it. But first, let me talk about two things. Uh, headship and submission. Okay, we'll talk about these two things. Uh, when I do premarital counseling, I do this thing where I talk to the guy and the girl, and I have them, t- uh, I do true and false questions. And I have whoever's answering, I have them give me true and false for them and what they think their, their spouse-to-be will say. And one of the questions I say is, I believe the man is the head of the home. You know, true or false. And I, in a, I mean, almost every time a guy will look at his fiance and go, oh, false, false. Like he's expecting her to go, good boy, way to go, right? And I will tell you, there's probably 80% of the time that the woman who you'd never think would say this goes, oh, yeah, I believe that. I think that's true. 
and the dude looks like a deer caught in the headlights. Like, what do I do? And then I talk to him about it, and I say, can you explain what that means then so he knows your expectations, what his role is supposed to be? Can you let him know? And then I talk about biblically what I think that means. Headship and submission, these things go hand in hand. Now, headship is seen in the book of Genesis where Adam and Eve sin. Sin enters the world, and it's seen by them eating of this forbidden fruit. After this happens, you read these words in Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So God comes into the garden. They have just sinned, and they're trying to hide from God. That's really kind of dumb, by the way. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? So God calls to the man. If you read the Genesis account, you'll see the woman actually ate first. The woman sinned first, but God comes into the garden and he calls first to the man. That's headship and responsibility. The man was meant to be a cultivator. He was meant to work the ground and work his relationship with his wife. The man was meant to be a warrior where he would fight against the things that wanted to destroy what God made in the world, and he would fight against the things that wanted to destroy his relationship with his wife. But too often today, men let everything in the culture that wants to destroy his relationship with his wife into his marriage, and he fights his wife instead. It's supposed to be the exact opposite. You fight for your wife. You fight for your family. And the man was supposed to be a sage. God had explained some things to the man, and the man was supposed to talk about them with his wife. When you read in Ephesians as well as other New Testament books about Jesus being head of the church, that means that Jesus took responsibility for all of us. Jesus took responsibility for our sin. That's what Jesus did. Christ's headship comes from him giving himself up for the church. His sacrifice, his surrender, his willingness to give himself away, his death. The authority the word head carries is rooted in the sacrifice of Christ. And therefore, it's rooted in the sacrifice of the husband. The husband is commended to lay down his life for his wife. The wife is said to submit yourself to your husband. But earlier in Ephesians, both are commanded to submit themselves to one another because everybody is commanded to submit themselves to one another in humility. All of this says out of reverence for Christ. And too many people will use verses in Ephesians to blame one another as to why their marriage doesn't work. And that is not what the text is all about. A husband waiting for a wife to submit is a failure on his part to actually lead. If he is a leader, he surrenders his selfish desires, he surrenders his wants, surrenders his plans, he would die to his need to be in control and do whatever it takes to serve her, to make sure that she is presented without spot or blemish or wrinkle. A husband would die to himself so that she could live. He would lay down his life for her like Jesus laid down his life for the church. That is headship that brings about submission out of reverence for Christ. Now, the word submission, the word mainly used in the scriptures is this word hupatasso, and it's a military term, and it means to arrange your forces so that they're the strongest. When I was in my early 20s, I played this game called Warcraft. It's called Real-Time Strategy. I am terrible at it because I have no patience whatsoever. But I make all these archers because they were cheap and easy. So I had like 100 archers, and I'd take them out to battle, and someone come against me with like 5 infantry and like 10 guys on horses, and they would mow down my 100 archers archers because archers are wimps apparently and i didn't realize till later that i needed to make some guys on horses and make some infantry then you take your your archers and you put them behind those guys so they fire over those guys into the enemy lines that's how you set your army up so it's the strongest that's what hupatasso means and so what it means in terms of this is the bible teaches that marriages are strongest when jesus is first 
When Jesus is first, then the husband will stand at the head of his family, protecting them, loving them, caring for them. And the rest of the family supports him in that. So when the hits of the world come at you, they hit him first. But he is taking those for you, and you guys are loving him so the whole family stays strong. Headship and submission. This is why Paul goes on, and then he talks to the men. In verse 25, he says, So husbands, love your wives. Why? Because women like to be loved. Golly. I mean, I just, I just put that right out there. Maybe this is why there's so many issues. So women like, women, it's crazy. It works every time though. Uh, my wife, she is very strong. She can be very stoic. Uh, a few years ago, she went to a friend's house and watched this movie called The Notebook. She comes home and I'm like, who in the world are you? Because she was like, <sighs> I mean, we get, we go to bed that night. She's laying in bed like, and I'm like, what? It, it really, it affected her. What? Because women are natural receivers of love. They love to be loved. Now, I know sometimes there's abuse, and sometimes it makes it hard receiving love. And this is why at Element we do these things called redemption groups. And if you would like to be part of redemption groups, the next ones are starting in February. We'd love to be able to help you walk through some of that. And when the Bible here talks about love, it does mean emotion, but it also means action. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love compels him to act. Love accomplishes things. Love is not emails or texts. Love is getting up and actually doing something. It shows you that God's love is powerful. It reconciles, it restores, it changes people. When Jesus loves us, we don't start off all that lovely, but his love makes us lovely. And so for your wives, or if you're not married, your future wives, you've got to figure out how to love them now. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He lays down his life so she can be blessed, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water and the word. This means that scripture should be in a Christian marriage. And that means, guys, you have a calling. Scripture says that husbands should be leading their wives to places like church community into gospel communities. We should learn things so we can lead better. That doesn't mean standing up and teaching a Bible study, but we learn what God's saying to us so we can lead better. Marriage can get boring after a few decades. Some of you know this. I mean, what are you going to talk about? You know, you have, what'd you do today? Oh, I shaved and went to work. Well, I can tell because you're less hairy and you were gone for a while. I mean, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> right? You can get boredom in a marriage. And so what do you do? You get involved. You, you serve one another. You serve outside. You live on mission. You lead or host or at least participate in a gospel community. Because now you have something to do and people to talk about. <clears throat> if a man is leading correctly, his wife will feel more secure because her husband is following God. And so when they walk with you, they knew you were just following Jesus. And a good leader is just that. It's just somebody behind Jesus. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Again, Jesus pursues. He does not give up. He longs to make us holy and blameless. And a husband who is like Christ does not give up. He does not give in. The goal is that his wife would become a holier woman. His goal is not selfish. His goal is not to get her to serve him. 
Her goal was that she would honor God in all things. Her closeness to Jesus, Jesus would bring him much joy. Verse 28 says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. That means he who loves his wife loves himself. Sometimes I don't know where I end half the time when my wife begins. She can sometimes tell me things that I'm thinking that I don't even realize I'm thinking. When I say something, she's like, well, you said this because I'm like... Holy cow, I did say that. I usually get mad when she says it, but she's usually right. You know, the husband and wife are meant to become one flesh. Just like God is called one God, they're called one flesh. If you in a marriage see yourselves as individuals, you will always function as enemies. You will not function as allies. When you realize there is one of you, you become allies. You work together. The oneness of the relationship is meant to make you live in harmony because you are one. And guys who are abusive and cheat and look at porn are fools who are punching themselves in the face. It is complete sin, folly, and selfishness. And so Paul says, for no one ever hated his own body. And I know there are some guys who are like, oh, I hate myself. No, you don't. You eat. You put on pants. You don't sleep in the road. You care about you. And it says, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. If you look at a guy and he is dressed really sharp and really nice and you see his wife and she is dressed in just these ratty clothes, do you think, oh, that guy really loves her? No, not at all. Not at all. Man, your wives get your best. I, I try and give my wife usually exactly what she wants, except for another cat. I have to draw the line somewhere, okay? <laughs> That's my line. That's my line. Not another cat. But, but I mean, I, I get a garage full of old furniture. She picks up at garage sales. Stop selling her stuff, by the way, if she goes to yours. Uh, sometimes I've hung up weird lawn art on the wall because, because I love her. As Jesus takes care of the church, husbands take care of their wives. I mean, seriously, is that so terrible? No, no. A husband shouldn't roll up in a brand new car with all kinds of bling, you know, what, 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 when his wife is trying to push start the LaCar or the minivan with three kids in it. Your wife should look like somebody loves her. I used to get irritated. I said this before. I used to get irritated when my wife spends like 50, 60, or 70 bucks on a haircut. I'm like, what? And then I realized, I don't want her to look like me, right? <laughs> I cut my own hair. You can t- I just did it last week. You can tell, right? I bought a pair of buzzers like four years ago, and I refused to buy another one. And this is what, what, I, what I get. She shouldn't look like me. I have toys and hobbies and stuff, but daily I come to realize it is a great honor to love her, and I am privileged to have a wife. Our culture today, what they do is they push feminism because they think that will make things so much better. I think feminism has devalued women because men don't have to rise to any standard to marry one. The feminist critique has been men use women, and I completely agree with that critique. I think men have been horrible But it seems like feminism's answer is women should toughen up. My answer is, how about we fix the men so a woman doesn't have to become a man? I think if a man is like Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. And hopefully this begins to make sense about headship and submission. Ephesians chapter 5, as I said, usually women will only have a huge problem with this if their men aren't acting like Jesus. And I may have offended some of you. Some of you might need to be offended, you know, but let me be practical. <laughs> you know, I hope this wasn't my Chip and Johanna Gaines moment, by the way. Um, anybody? No? Okay. <laughs> Fix the rubber. Come on, guys. Um, but I want to be very practical as well, okay? If you are unmarried, if you're unmarried, how, how do you get married? This is where Paul goes. Verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What Paul does is he echoes Jesus and Moses. So he starts like this. Number one, leave. 
leave. If a, if a man says to you, marry me, you should ask two questions. Number one, do you love Jesus? And really, you know, how do you love Jesus? What does that mean? And secondly, where will we live? If he says at my mommy's house, run away. Okay? <laughs> run away. A man needs to take care of himself so he can take care of you and some kids. Getting married doesn't make a man. It can be a benefit. It really can, but it doesn't make one. Second thing is united to his wife. That is marriage. And third thing is one flesh. That's sex. The problem is everyone today is looking for shortcuts to number three. We don't want to grow up. We don't want to get married, but everyone wants to have sex. Guys will look at a woman and they will say, oh, I love you. And a lot of women will say, oh, well, if you love me, then I'll act like a wife. Even knowing the whole time this guy has no intention of acting like a husband. Ladies, you need to look at that guy and you need to say, you don't love me like Jesus loves me. You don't love me enough to grow up and commit and provide. That makes you a liar. You're like the devil. There you go. Just write that down. Say that. It'll go over so well. I think this, is, this process is important because today everyone is sleeping together. Statistically speaking, every person you sleep with before you're married, including your future spouse, increases your odds of divorce. Because there is no such thing as practice commitment. Either you get married or you're not. Grow up, get married, enjoy your spouse. If you're unmarried, have clear ideas about what you believe so you can talk to the other person about it. When you decide to marry somebody, talk about issues of kids and school and manhood and womanhood and who Jesus is and and politics. Because you do not want to spend the rest of your days arguing about things that should just be simple. This is why I warn non-Christians not to marry a Christian because they have no idea what they're getting into. Verse 32, Paul says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So marriage, headship, submission, it's all a reflection of Jesus and the church. All of it. A husband should love their wife how Jesus loves the church. The church is meant to be there as an example. Then Paul says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Love and respect. If you're single, that means you love your future future spouse now. I prayed for my wife before I ever met her. I said, God, keep her safe. Kill other men that want to touch her. Amen. It's a good prayer. And if you are wasting your money and you're going into debt, you're looking at porn, you are not loving your future spouse. Even if you have not even met them yet. Be in covenant with them now so when you meet them, they will have no doubt in their minds that you have always loved them. And I so wish someone had drilled this into me when I was a young man. I wouldn't have had to cause so many issues in my marriage trying to learn how to grow up while being married. Now, maybe you think my husband or my wife, they aren't that lovely. What do you do? You love them until they are lovely. Just like God's love makes us worthy and makes us lovely. Our love for each other is meant to do the exact same thing. And there's a lot in here the man is called to. But Paul does say this, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ladies, I'll tell you something. If you ask a guy you want to be loved or respected, a lot of men would say respected. Respected. Titus 2 says you should love your man, but here we say you should respect him. And I think this is really important, especially if you're not married, because your kids will be like him. And if you don't want photocopies of that guy walking around, then don't marry that guy, right? You need to understand that. But what can we do to be respectful to one another? How can we love one another? I think there's a couple things in this to be lovely. Number one, don't nag each other. Don't nag each other. You know why men don't typically nag each other? Because one of us would have to die. That's why. Okay? Because men hate it. It kills us. A second thing is don't be quarrelsome. Don't be quarrelsome with your spouse. If a woman is always trying to fight with a man, he feels like he can't win. If he takes it, 
He feels like a coward. If he fights back, he feels like a jerk. He can't win. Guys, same thing. If you're always quarrelsome with your spouse, she's like, I don't even know what I can say. I can't ever, ever say the right thing. How can I even have a conversation with you? What we have to do is begin to respect one another and stop being nagging and quarrelsome. Sometimes when we get so quarrelsome, people will leave and love gets cut off. Ladies, here's a big secret for guys right here. Men all feel like little boys inside. We all feel like we're little boys. And the respect of our wives matters greatly. And if you don't show him respect, it will kill him. Just like he's supposed to love you till you're lovely, respect him till he is respectable. Because if not, it will go on and on and on. Then divorce will come, irreconcilable differences. And I think that's total BS. I think it's all reconcilable. Someone needs to swallow their pride and begin to love and respect the other consistently. And I believe that men are supposed to start that process. Men will borrow the confidence of their wives in them. Ladies, if you compliment a guy enough, he will believe it despite the evidence. He really will. (laughs) You're not fat, you're stocky. Oh, I'm stocky. (laughs) You're not dumb, you're artsy. Oh, I'm artsy. If you cannot open a jar and you bring it to a guy and he does, he will feel like a Greek god. Here, baby, I open this for you. Have you seen my muscles? Men are simple. Men are simple. Food, sex, compliments goes a really long way. It really does. It really does. Uh, I'm going to, yeah, is, I'm going to say this every service, so we'll see how it goes, right? I was on, a few years ago, I'm at the gas station, I'm getting gas in my car, and there's a lady next to me, and she was on her phone just yelling at her husband, just like, rah, 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 and I'm like going, oh my goodness, please hurry, you know, um, and, I'm, and I just start to think, do you think that guy, at the end of his day after work, is in a rush to go home? No, no, not at all, right? He doesn't fear hell, because he already lives there. It, but guys, you can be the exact same way. Well, your wife doesn't fear hell because she already lives there with you. Guys, we can make each other's lives so much easier by being loving and respectable with one another. I mean, give your wife something more to talk about than than he walks upright just like the other animals. You know, give her something. My husband is kind. He does this. He, he, He loves me. Lovely women are easier to love. Respectable men are easier to respect. And there's some people who would have a problem with me saying that, but it's just true and it's common sense. And the entire point of good and loving marriages is is to remind us of our good and loving God. We are meant to submit to him. We respect him. We love him because he first loved us by coming and redeeming us from our broken way of life. Jesus is the one we look to first. He is our God. He is our world above everything else. Jesus takes headship over us as our God. And instead of complaining about words like that, let's live it out. So our spouses are loved and God is honored and our culture begins to reflect the goodness of God. This is what the gospel does. The gospel is good news. Marriages are meant to remind us that our God has come and rescued and redeemed and saved us. That we have been running headlong into sin and our God pursued us and sought us and loved us and brought us back home again. This is the beauty of it. And I think if we really just love Jesus and love our spouses, none of these things like headship, submission would ever be an issue because we are simply loving one another and respecting one another and living in redeemed lives how God calls us to live. This is one of the reminders that communion is every single week. That's why you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us because our sin he was broken for. 
you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me because he took headship and responsibility for us and our sin. He is our head. And so he comes in and he rescues and he redeems us. This is what we remember at communion. So let's lay down our selfish pride. Let's lay down our petty hurts. Let's lay down all the petty things that we have and hold against one another. And so we begin to live and walk and redeem the lives with Christ as our head. The band's going to come up. And as they do, uh, you guys are welcome to communion. There'll be some deacons in the back. And if you need prayer, if you're having a, a struggle in your marriage today, you're thinking about getting married and you have some questions about that, uh, they'd love to pray with you. If you have a uh, prayer request for anything, they'd love to pray with you. Um, there's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us, giving is part of our worship. And there's some food stuff in the back. I saw some cookies with M&Ms in them, so somebody loves you. And uh, apparently they were, they were <clears throat> submissive to church authority and brought good cookies. Uh, man, okay, so I will be in the back if you have questions after this morning, by the way. <laughs> um, grab something to eat, meet some other people, and maybe start to talk through some of that. What does it mean for Jesus to be our head? And then what does that mean for how that works out into our marriages with him being first in all things? How do we become a people who live out our lives so that Jesus is seen as the one who rescues and redeems? And so we would be a people who look different to the entire world because we have first been redeemed and saved by our great God. And he has come to us as a people to restore relationship, not just between us and him, but us and each other. Guys, our God is good. Our God is good. And he wants us to live in that goodness with one another. So let's begin to do that. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us how to be a people who love and honor you in a way that you are first. That you are our entire world. And that we submit ourselves to you. Because by submitting to you, we live in great and new life. And then I ask that you would teach us in our submission to you to learn how that we are supposed to interact with the people around us and most importantly, the marriages that we are in. And that we would love our spouses in a way that shows that we love you first. And that you would strengthen marriages Because they are a reflection of your salvation of your entire church. Have us as a people begin to understand that. The next time our tempers are short, the next time that we want to flare up at another person, we would take a step back and remember that we are to love like you love. And that we are to pursue like you pursue us. And that in living this way, everything will change. Teach us to truly live as you have called us to. And that we would see that you and found in you is all of our loves. And we would live that out in our lives. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.